Good evening. I want to welcome you back as we often meet on Sunday nights and uh, appreciate your attendance and your attention and all of those good things. As uh, If you have not been here on Sunday nights or if you're a guest here with us on Sunday nights, we are endeavoring in a textual series. Uh, we go a little lower and slower on Sunday nights uh, and spend a little more time just diving in text uh, verse by verse, and uh, it's very beneficial to many, and if you're here tonight, we hope you'll not only uh, pay attention, but listen and follow along in your Bible. As we begin, I want to ask you a question, and it's one that, as was mentioned this morning in the uh, Lord's Supper talk that uh, Roger made, is that requires some self-examination. Ready? When was the last time that you shared Jesus or shared the gospel with someone who didn't already know Jesus or was obedient to the gospel? It's a convicting question. Uh, We sometimes call it a great commission, the great omission. We can get busy and doing many good things and forget that the mission of the church is was and always will be to seek and to save the lost. My follow-up question and that rhetorical question is, why do you think it is that so many who believe in Jesus and who love Jesus and who serve Jesus are hesitant to share Jesus? I'm, I'm that way. Thanks, Mom. That wasn't my phone. It was someone's. Anyway, may have been mine. This would be a good point to say, hey, if you have a cell phone in your pocket, just go ahead and and put that baby in airplane mode. And uh, whoever it was, I won't pick on you. But the the secondary question to that is, why uh, do we who believe in Christ, and, and my assumption is that many of us have it, and who obey Christ, my assumption is that many of us have why wouldn't we share that good news? If we believe in, in the joy of heaven and the, the reality of hell, wouldn't that be the utmost, foremost thought of our mind and, and subject of every conversation? My reasoning is that although many of us assent and agree to the belief in the eternity and the afterlife and the joys of heaven, the reality of hell, uh, the largest, the, the, the main reason that we do not share the gospel more than we do is fear. Fear of what? Well, fear of rejection. Fear of being ostracized. Fear of being isolated. Fear of not having all the answers. Fear of being asked a question that we We don't have book, chapter, and verse 4. Think about it this way. A few of you in the audience are farmers, you're in the agricultural industry. What kind of world would we have if, if those who farmed decided not to plant any seed of any type for fear that some seed wouldn't take. 
for fear that some seed wouldn't grow. Because, I mean, surely that happens, especially in a season like we've had uh, this year with all of the the floods and, oh my goodness, uh, the fields that have just been washed out in some cases. And yet, those who farm uh, will continue to, the, the, the hardened, hardy souls will continue to plant and to fertilize and to water and to trust God, and they'll do that in season in and season out. They'll know that much of the seed or many of the seeds that they cast may not always take root. They just understand that's a part of the process. Farmers don't, at least the ones that I know, don't tend to take that personally. They don't get mad. They don't question the effectiveness of the seed. Uh, they, they, they don't question themselves, maybe, I don't know. But the basic gist of it is they understand that not every seed that's planted results in a harvest. Tonight, as we talk about the story that we're going to talk about, and as we talk about the subject of planting the seed and sharing our faith in Jesus and sharing the good news of the gospel, I hope maybe to present a slight paradigm shift that will make us a little less fearful about sharing the good news of Jesus and the joy of the gospel. Jesus, in telling the story, he he wants us to, to understand something. And that is that rejection is part of the process. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the effectiveness of the word. And in many cases, it has little to do with the abilities and skills of the sower. If you're following along in your Bible, you'll want to turn to Luke chapter 8. To make this point, Jesus does what Jesus does best. He tells a story, a metaphor, a parable. And we're going to go through this parable after we answer the phone. And then this parable is often called the parable of the sower. It's found in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. It's on page 1,109 in the Pew Bible, if you don't have your own. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4, and, and even though it, it says there the parable of the sower, or very likely it does, uh, this, in my opinion, is a misnamed parable, because it's, it's really not about the sower. It's more about the seed, and it's really about the soils. But yeah, I didn't put those words in the text, so... What is commonly called the parable of the sower, let's work through the text tonight. First, Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathered, was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow in his, his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell along the rock. As it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell along among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded 
a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the first thing we need to understand is that Jesus is preaching to a crowd. A crowd is uh, a little bit of a strange thing because even in a crowd like tonight or Sunday morning, pick pick the time, in that crowd you have a wide variety of spiritual maturity, of uh, attentiveness, of uh, seasons of life, uh, background in understanding the Bible and background in all things church and the Lord. And so within a crowd, people hear things differently. One guy says one thing and people hear things differently. Jesus understood that. The master teacher tells a parable to a crowd knowing that in the crowd are people in his closest disciples, all the way down to folks who are just there because they're curious. They're not all in with Jesus. They just want to hear what this guy has to say. Now, Jesus viewed the crowd and crowd size differently than preachers and teachers often do. Um, preachers and teachers are obsessed with crowd size. It's just the nature of it. Some of it's pride, some of it's ego. You know, you, you sort of rate how effective you are by the crowd size. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's reality. You preach differently when you have a, a, a full packed house of a thousand people versus ten people. Shouldn't be that way, but, but it is. That's human nature. Jesus, of course, exceeded human nature. He understood that the crowd is different, and the crowd is fickle. And he didn't get caught up in trying to draw bigger crowds. He understood that the, the crowd was really shifting sand. The, 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 the crowd represented a wide diversity of commitment. And so he didn't build on it. He knew that was not a wise thing to do. Um, but within the crowd are a variety of hearts. And so he tells the story that they would understand from an earthly perspective, but Jesus intended to give them a spiritual, heavenly meaning. He tells them a story about themselves, and the brilliance of it is they don't even realize he's doing it. That is masterful teaching. He's preaching to the crowd about the crowd without them even fully being aware of it. What they hear is a story. Um, This is why Jesus often said things in a parable. Uh, They were a common method of teaching, and Jesus wasn't the only rabbi to use a parable. And I I think most effective teachers use parables, metaphors, illustrations. And and just from personal experience, I'll tell you, there there is a noticeable difference in, a, in an audience when you stop and tell a story. I can't tell you the number of times I've been making my way through a uh, textual analysis, some exegesis of some type, something I've really poured myself into to, to understanding, and I'll throw out an aside, a parable, an illustration, and nine times out of ten, everyone afterward t- talks about the story. 
Oh, I had that happen to me once. Oh, I remember. I mean, because people identify with story. That's why Jesus used it. But it also allowed him to teach on sort of two levels. Luke shares, by my count, 18 of Jesus' parables. And we understand they have quite an impact because we remember them so well. Parable is a, most of the times like a long analogy. And it often required an explanation to fully understand it. The problem is that sometimes Jesus explained the parable and sometimes he didn't. Which I think is even more brilliant because there's nothing better than to not explain your story. Because then you leave the audience wanting. And uh, in this particular occasion, he did not explain it to the crowd, but he did eventually clarify it to the disciples. For the remainder, as we, as we branch out from Luke 8 going forward to the rest of the year, when Jesus teaches a crowd, he will not do it without a parable. That tells us something about Jesus' method and his heart. And so... Uh, he, he begins talking about something they understood, about sowing the seed, not doing it in the way that we understand it in a modern world, but planting of the seed back then was done effectively by, we talk about this on Know Your, know Your Bible Sunday, by broadcasting. It was the literal you know, fling of the arm and the uh, throwing out of the seed as the sower went along. It was the most common way to do it. And as he did that, uh, he knew, the sower knew, uh, that not every one of those seeds that left his hand would result in a harvest sometime later. Then he says, uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's uh, probably another good lesson for us to understand, is that not everybody who hears Jesus, hears Jesus. Not everyone who hears Jesus takes Jesus to heart. And that's, well, we'll get to that a little bit later, but there's a reason that Jesus often spoke in parable and story. Because it, only people who are paying close attention will catch the meaning of the message. The disciples, because they were more than just in the crowd, they were intrigued and fascinated with this story and its meaning, which they did not understand. And so they seek the meaning, and we're now in verse 9. And when his disciples asked what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given uh, to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing, they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But, those, <clears throat> but these have no root. They believe for a while. And in a time of testing, they fall away. And as for those that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear but as they go there on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that good soil, 
They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one after, well, getting ahead of myself there. So it explains what the parable means. And obviously the the story had meaning and this is why Jesus taught it. The, the, The parables did an interesting thing in that those who heard the parable but didn't believe or trust God, it's like they heard it, but they didn't hear the truth of the message. So in a strange way, parables helped explain and understand spiritual truths to those who wanted to hear and understand them. But the parable, to those who had no interest in spiritual matters, all they heard was a story. And, and that's fine, but they just didn't seek any deeper meaning. Isaiah, the prophet, said this concerning uh, Jesus speaking in parables, and it was said of Jesus later, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Go and say to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Now, this is the case as well. Um, I think sometimes as Christians we think, well, as long as I share the word and as long as I do what's right, uh, then people will hear and heed and yield to that. That's not always the case, and Jesus knew that. As As Christians, we have to practice discretion. As we share the truth, not meaning that we don't share the truth, but we have to give some wisdom Particularly if you're in a discussion or a debate, somebody wants to know why you believe what you do. There's a difference between people who sincerely want to know and people who are just asking to argue. And and we know the difference in all areas of life. There are times when people sincerely want to know and are sincerely asking the question to know more. And there are times when they are simply goading the issue. Most social media, by the way, is the second. So, I know, I know we've seen thousands upon thousands of people converted to Jesus by arguments on Facebook, but we're an exception, you understand, okay? So, Jesus used discretion, and that's why parables were necessary. Because he, he was aiming for the people who wanted to hear, and yet also giving people who had no interest in hearing the opportunity to learn and to grow at their choice. He says, to you it has been given to know, but for others, and it's not the case. Parables were given to people who are ready to learn and grow, and people who were not ready for this. Um, there are some people who are not mature enough to understand. It's Jesus talking about don't cast your pearls before swine. This was the counsel he gave the disciples when he sent them out and so forth. He's saying pay attention to who you, to whom rather, you are talking to. And whether they want to know it or not. I know a lot of teachers and several of them are talented teachers, and I know a few kindergarten teachers, and, and I know none of those 
kindergarten teachers who attempt to teach their kindergartners calculus. Because they're not ready for it. Their minds aren't mature enough that to even grasp. They're, you're so far beyond. Now imagine Jesus coming into our world and trying to teach us what he knows about God. Exact same challenge. He's got to teach kindergartners calculus. So when Jesus says, I have more to hear, but you cannot bear it, he's speaking truth. There was so much that Jesus had us to say, had to teach, but many times they were not ready, and many times we are not ready. Parables were used to help bridge that gap. Some people are not ready to hear God or from God because it's the wrong season of life. I know this is not in Luke, but John records that in John chapter 16, verse 12, that Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He understood his audience. He was the master teacher. And so he understood when when he told these stories that not everyone would get it, and that didn't bother Jesus. What he was aiming for was those were those that he was trying to teach the calculus to. And he wanted their hearts to be impacted. I'll even say that as the disciples, the the, uh, 12 uh, apostles matured and grow, I think they would, remember when Jesus told that story? Oh yeah, that's what he was talking about, right? Because they they weren't in the right season to understand exactly what he meant. But don't you know, as they go through the book of Acts and the eleven begin to share the gospel and spread the gospel and to plant and to cast the seed into all of these uh, cities and, and countries where they had not been and preaching now not only to Jews but to Gentiles, that as they begin to cast the seed of God's word, don't you know that every single one of them, as they preached the message, as they shared the good news in the synagogue, as they taught those who wanted to hear, don't you know they came back to the story. Jesus is preparing them. I have no doubt that Jesus is preparing them four times for a later season in life. You ever read a scripture that you've read probably a hundred times, and for whatever reason, because of the season of life that you're in right now, that scripture, that verse resonates with you in a way that you have never... You've... you've, you've read it, you've heard it preached on, you've heard it taught on, but until you get to the season of readiness, it won't resonate in your heart. So sometimes the parables are told to prepare us for being in the right season. Jesus then explains the parable because, because, well, they ask him to. Uh, The parable is this, this is um, verse 11. And, and I kind of wanted to, this is kind of a, an aside, but we'll talk through it. He says, okay, here's the meaning of the story you want to know. The seed is God's word. And the, the path represents the hard heart. You know, it, it's just, it's been calloused and nothing breaks through and it's not going to break through. And the, the word's still there, but it makes no impact. We would probably say those were the religious leaders and teachers that Jesus often tried to teach. But it's like throwing, you know, grass seed on compacted dirt. It doesn't make an impact. 
you have to break through the toughness of the soil before you get the seed in there where it can germinate. People, Jesus dealt with those kind of people, and he knew the apostles would too. There was a seed on the rocky soil, which represented the shallow heart. It, it had, I mean, it took off with great gusto, but the shallow heart is people who start better than they finish. They're very enthusiastic. They, they come to church a few times, they hear the gospel, they're ready to be baptized. A couple of weeks later, never hear from them again. That's happened. There have been people throughout the you know, history of the church and, and even at Northside that are fickle. Yeah, they get real involved, they jump in, they try to do their best, but they get caught up with other things and because of the shallowness of their heart, they don't stick with it. There's not enough time for, for the root to take hold. Then we go to the thorny soil, which I call the distracted heart. They hear the gospel, they hear it preached, they, they know, know God's word. Uh, however, they get distracted, they focus on the worldly things. That's easy to do. This would be like, you know, I think, kind of like the rich young ruler. You know, He heard Jesus, he was a righteous man, he wanted to do what was right. But when Jesus called him to go deeper, to sell all he had and give to the poor, he, he couldn't get there because he was so focused on pleasure and riches and wealth. And then there's the fruitful heart, the heart that is on the good soil, Jesus says. They hear it, they hold on to it, they don't let go, the seed takes root, the roots grow deeper and deeper, the, the, the fruit begins to show in their lives, it grows larger and larger each year, it's bigger than it was the year before, the fruit is continually being produced, and, and the impact from that one seed is easily a hundred times more seeds because they held on to it, because it rooted in good soil, and they didn't give up in their faith. By my estimation, this would be the 11 apostles. And, and there were other Christians you know, who just hold on to it, and they don't let go. Okay, a few observations through the story. Number one, the seed is always the same. The seed is the seed, and it, it's consistent. It's the only consistent part of the story. But the seed reacts differently in different environments. The soil, the soil is shifty. The heart, very fickle. That's a big problem with the, the world's admonition to follow your heart, to seek your heart. The heart doesn't know what it wants. The heart is very fickle. The only consistent thing is the power and the, the, the glory and what can happen in God's word. And Jesus says this story and he says basically there's going to be a 25% success rate. 25% for every four seeds you plant, one will take root. And the, the, the key condition in the one versus the, the other three is this, the condition of the soil. If we step back for just a second, 
with my original question. When was the last time you shared Jesus or the gospel with someone who didn't know Jesus or hadn't obeyed the gospel? If we began to, to understand that for every four people, this is not exact science, mind you, every four people, we're going to get four different reactions, and the, the, the high probability is that it will be rejected, either immediately or down the road. But eventually that, that seed that you planted will not achieve its purpose. But it wasn't because of the seed, and it wasn't because of the sower. It, it allows you to just kind of matter-of-factly continue on sowing. The sower doesn't get caught up in the success. He just knows that the more seeds he throws, the more likelihood, the greater harvest he or she is going to have. It, it's amazing to me. Uh, we, our family likes the... TV show Shark Tank, which if you never watch, is about venture capitalism and people come in and they have a business idea or a business is already going and they make a pitch to four investors and maybe they get a deal and maybe they don't. But the sharks, which are the investors, um, they, you know, sometimes they love an idea, they're passionate about it, they want all in, they want to make an offer, sometimes they get multiple offers, sometimes they go, man, your business is doing really well, it's just not for me, you know, I'm out. Uh, sometimes they're just, there's no offers and everybody thinks it's a terrible idea. But, but all of those investors and even the entrepreneurs themselves, none of them are, are, are discouraged in that process because they understand that, that success and failure is just a part of the process. And eventually you get to, to those investments which are just, I mean, they just go like crazy and, Maybe if we thought of our sharing the gospel and just took, take it on the surface. You're going to share the gospel. You're going to share Jesus, and not every seed will take. And you will be rejected maybe three out of four times. Not you, but the seed. Maybe if we'd stop taking it so personally, we wouldn't worry or fear rejection. Heather Wheeler has sold and trained to sell lots and lots of people to sell Tupperware, okay? Heather, you ever get rejected? If people ever say no, politely or rudely, sure, I'm sure. It just comes with the territory, right? But you keep on going, right? Because you know that behind the next door, behind the next meeting might be that you're the next greatest salesperson ever. I share that because, one, Heather's there, but two... Uh, she's got a good friend who, who sells, sells Tupperware, <laughs> and uh, Tyler happens to be mowing her lawn, and I'm currently in the phase of life called uh, Uber parenting, uh, chauffeuring. And so I'm waiting there while Tyler's mowing, and, and Deb comes out, and I go up, and we're chit-chatting, and, and I you know, said, you know, how's, how's business going, and, and, and she said, oh, it's going great, and just didn't miss a beat, just like, it was miniature Heather. I mean, she's like, and by the way, do you have any Tupperware? How are you doing? We were, she was joking about that, but that's how you be good, right? She didn't worry that I had, you know, already had plenty of connections with Tupperware, so don't get any ideas, okay? I got enough. <laughs> but that, the, my point is, her heart was she didn't fear rejection. 
She knew that she only got to the yes by bearing through and pushing through all the no's. So, in, in spreading and sharing a far greater news of a much more eternal value, do not fear when people tell you no. Or when they're rude or they cuss you out or they say, you know, that Bible is just a bunch of fairy tales and, you know, Christians are just a bunch of conservative, closed-minded, don't, I don't want anything to do with them. Okay, well, just keep on going down the road. Because you'll get to somebody who has good soil in their heart and they are ready to hear the Word of God. Okay, I was thinking about this lesson. I thought, well, Jesus used this lesson telling a parable. Time for me to tell a parable, okay? So let's pretend that you have at your disposal to invest $100,000, okay? And you are looking for a way that you can invest that $100,000 in a way that will multiply your return and uh, be a good investment. So you have a financial expert, and you go to them and ask, you know, say, I have $100,000, I want to invest it wisely. What do you think? I lean back in his chair, and he says, you know, I got one for you. Uh, it's a little risky, but let me explain. Uh, this particular investment basically fails three out of four times. But on the fourth time, every time, when you invest, you get a hundred times your investment. It's just amazing, right? And so he talks a little more and does a a more nuanced pitch than that, but that's the gist of it, okay? You got a hundred thousand dollars, He's got something that's got a, a, a three out of four chance of absolute going to zero and a one in four shot of a hundred times the return. So you take your $100,000 investment and you divide it up into four equal parts. It's like, hey, I'll give it four shots. So you invest the first 25000 and it goes to zero. I mean, just almost, you put it out there and it's rejected. Second 25000 starts to kind of go up a little bit, then it goes down, it goes up, and it's then it goes to zero two. The third one, the same way. Invest it, goes up and down, and, and eventually down to, down to zero. You say, okay, fourth time's a charm, hopefully. And you put that fourth investment of $25,000 in there. And, you know, close the transaction and go to bed, and you wake up the next morning, and you open up the, the check on your portfolio and check on that investment, and you look, and that single investment has now grown to a value of $2.5 million. Do you want to reinvest? Have any desire to do that? I don't know. I don't know what your risk meter is, but that's kind of the way I view a little bit of the parable of the soils. Jesus is telling them, I'm going to send you out, and you're going to do Great Commission, you know, the church is going to grow and all that. People are people. And so there's going to be a lot of failure involved in this process. Why in the world would you do it? As most people who are Christians will admit, if they're honest, that they don't share the gospel as often as they could or should, the reason is they feel the, fear the failure 
But maybe we forget that, that when, we, when we stop doing that, we risk the opportunity of missing out on the good soil too. You, you've got a neighbor right next to you. You've got a coworker that you carpool with or you share an office with. You've, you've got a good friend. You've been friends for years. You never talked about Jesus with him or her. Jesus is like, man, I wish you'd cast that seed because there's a hundredfold return right there. Maybe just help us understand. The, the odds of success in sharing the gospel, according to Jesus, the parable of this, what's called the sower, but the, really is the, the parable of the soil, the odds of, of success seem low until, until you understand the return on the success that you do get. The, wins, the, 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 the good seed and a good heart takes hold and, and roots down. I mean, you could be talking about the person who grows to be a great preacher and bring revival in the church, a missionary who reaches foreign countries who've never been reached before, people who might change the course and the trajectory of the church in one seed. And this is what Know Your Bible is all about. Steve and I go in, we're going to do it a couple of times this week, and we'll go in and we'll sit down in front of a camera for an hour and a half, and we'll tape, we'll answer questions. In the middle of that, a couple of times, we'll encourage people to sign up for the Know Your Bible Correspondence course and say, get in the Word. Study with somebody, you know, through the mail or online or whatever. I, I think I, Steve could give me the right number, but something like over 2 million households that we could, or 2 million people that we could potentially reach if every television set was on and everybody's watching and all that. Two million people. Well, there's not probably two million people watching. And and maybe somebody's going to flip through and go, ah, I don't believe that, or eh, I'm skeptical, or, ah, you know, I don't need any more religious TV. But there's one person watching the show, and for whatever reason, they keep watching, and the, the, the word takes hold from these simple answers to, to, to questions, and they say, I want to know more about that, and they sign up for the Bible Correspondence Course, and they become a Christian, and they, they change the course of a local church that's on the verge of dying. That's why we keep doing it. Because, yeah, a lot of seed falls by the wayside. A lot of seed doesn't take root, but... Man, those times that they do, a hundred times, and, and Steve says it often during On Know Your Bible Sunday and other times, we'll only know in heaven how much good has been done. Why? Because you can't tally that kind of good. I mean, it's just impossible to know. I mean, they don't even tell us all the times it does all the good, but we sure get a lot of phone calls and emails. Hey, boy, we really appreciate Know Your Bible. This person came to us from Know Your Bible. This person, we, I took a certificate and baptized someone into Christ, and their whole family came along. I mean, there's, there's a ton of stories like that. I Know Your Bible, does, does Steve get up here and say, well, you know, we, we taped 52 times, planted potentially 2 million seeds each time, and... We only got this many. No, he doesn't do that. He talks about the return, the good soil, where a hundred times what was planted is harvested. And that's cool. There's a reason Jesus told that story is to encourage them, to encourage the apostles and keep them going. And, And so may we be of good courage in the same way. May we not miss the point. 
I, I know it's not typically included in this sermon, but I want to read verses 16 through 18 because I think, I think Jesus or Luke intended it to kind of go along to bookend. Verse 16. No one lighting a lamp covers it with a jar and puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. So no one who goes to Tupperware training puts the book on the shelf and stops talking about Tupperware. No, they they put it, they emblazon their car with the Tupperware logo and they talk to everybody that they know about Tupperware. That's what Jesus is talking about here. We, we put it on, on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to the light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Seed does not work. The trick about seed is it, it just doesn't work until it's sown in something. My garage in the bottom shelf, I have a container full of grass seed. Not a single stalk of grass has sprouted. And it won't until I plant it, until I scatter it. And so Jesus is waiting on us to do the sowing. We're to be the light of the world. You and I are lights in the dark world. We are the ones that are to shine and to share the light of Jesus. You, you remember, a Sunday night crowd certainly would, Psalm 119, verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you believe in Jesus if you trust his word as a light, then you don't light. I mean, I know the song's cute and everything, but there's a real point there that Jesus is trying to make. You don't light it and hide it. You light it and you illuminate the dark world. You illuminate friends and neighbors and families and coworkers and all of that. You share and shine the light. Interesting little side note there is in the book of Revelation, as Jesus addresses the church, you know what he calls the church? Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, he refers to the church, not a building, but people, as lampstands. Isn't that cool? It's not just this little light of mine, it's this little light of ours. I don't know how you write a song for that, but... This little light of ours is together, collectively, Northside is a lampstand, and Riverwalk is a lampstand, and Westlink is a lampstand. You understand? And so we need to understand that lighting or sharing the light and shining the light is not an optional thing. Not if you believe in it anyway. Won't they reject us? Won't they make fun of us? Might we get hit with a lawsuit? I don't know, but that's not really the point. Light shines in the darkness regardless of the darkness's opinion of the light. The light doesn't care what the darkness thinks. Eventually, all of it will come to the light. And so we shine it personally, we share it personally, we shine it collectively, we share it collectively, 
We shine not to illuminate ourselves, but to illuminate Jesus and to show the way to him. That's our job. So don't miss the point. Keep sowing the seed. Keep sharing the light. And this leads us straight to tonight's takeaway, and that is keep sowing. We're called to sow the seed all the time. Sow the seed to every soil. And here's the cool thing about that, just as a little side note here. You may not have noticed, but here recently, there might have been some changes in the soil condition in your backyard. If you notice that, may you not miss this lesson. Soil and the condition of it changes. And so just because it's shared at once doesn't give you the right to say, well, I, I cast the seed out there and they rejected it. Well, you know, that's all I can do. Nah, we just keep sowing. Because sometimes we'll come upon that place that was pretty hard and compacted, and it's been tilled up by some pretty rough circumstances in life. And it's ready now to receive the seed of the Word of God. And still yet, as we plant, as we sow, we understand three out of four of those will not take. Three out of four. Some will reject it outright, some will come to it and reject it later on. And those are the heartbreaking ones. But may we not stop ever sowing the seed and sharing the light. The seed will do its work. The seed, I'm convinced, will do its work. Isaiah 55. This scripture is written in my office on the wall to remind me where the power really lies. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it forth bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. It goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes maybe you and I can forget. It's really not about the sower. It's about the power of the seed and the condition of the soil. And we can get discouraged when those first three don't take. But man, oh man. If you're ever privileged enough to see the seed fall on good soil and change a heart and change a life and change an eternity, not just of that person, but like concentric circles around that person. I was watching a documentary about Phil Robertson. Phil's lived a wild life in his younger days. Uh, he did some, some bad things. And then Jesus got a hold of him. What's interesting, in, in Phil's conversion, there was a lady, who a friend of Phil's, who was a Christian, and she wanted to get Phil to Christ as well. And so she kept asking her minister to study the Bible with Phil. And what she said about Phil was... Powerful, She said, if Jesus will penetrate through Phil's heart, he will bring millions to Jesus. Now, back then, we know Phil Robertson today a little differently, but back then, Phil was a hard man who lived a wild life. 
And he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But that preacher met with him, and he didn't give up on Phil. And God's given Phil a platform where he continually, as the most direct, kind, compassionate way I've ever seen, shares the gospel with and sh- spreads the seed in whatever way possible. I mean, to him, Duck Commander was not about making, or, uh, Duck Dynasty was not about making his business, Duck Commander, grow and become extra rich. It was about having a platform to be able to share the good news of Jesus, to watch people, the Robertson family, praying around a dinner table and hear in Jesus' name, amen, and for somebody to watch it and say, man, that family looks like they have something I'd sure like to have. And for Phil, even though the show's ended, he's got podcasts now and all that, but not because he likes doing podcasts. He's got a book out, but not necessarily because he wanted to write a book, but because he wanted to use the opportunity to, to, to lead whoever would read the book and listen to the podcast to hear about Jesus. I think that I think that lady was right. Because the seed fell on good soil. And when the seed gets on good soil, watch out. Watch out. What would happen if that preacher would have said, you know, he he's into drinking and riding motorcycles and wild living and I just don't think that's for me. What a revolution we might have missed. Many people would not know Jesus. So we do continue to sow the seed because on the fourth time, not always the fourth time, you understand, but but there are times when it hits that good soil and man, oh man, you just watch out what God will do with good soil. And here's the thing. Right now, God knows exactly where the good soil is. I mean, He knows exactly where the good soil is. And so what I want to challenge us to do is to be intentional and purposeful and courageous enough to keep sowing the seed and pray that it might fall on good soil. So as we close tonight, I want to ask you to join me in a prayer. uh, It's a bold prayer, but Sunday night's a bold crowd, so pray with me. Father in heaven, your word is all-powerful and beyond our ability to fully understand how powerful it is. But we've seen its power and we know its power lies because of the one who wrote it, the spirit who inspired it, the one who lived it out here in this world. Father, as we can get complacent sometimes and we can get comfortable sometimes, I pray that you would ignite in our hearts a recommitment to sowing the seed. It's hard when we get rejected. It's painful to watch people accept the seed and then reject it and walk away from Jesus. It breaks our hearts. I know it breaks yours. But Father, give us the courage to not give up and to continue on the mission of the Great Commission Because we know that when it lands on good soil, your word can do amazing things. Father, this week I want to ask you specifically to lead us to four souls this week that we can share the gospel with. Maybe over lunch at a business meeting. Maybe at a person sitting next to us on a plane as we travel from one place to another, perhaps with a a friend or a a neighbor, perhaps uh, with someone in our own family. Father, 
make those four soils so clear to us that they, we have no other option but to yield to your will and to share boldly and with love the hope of your son Jesus. Father, we, we will be better sowers and we will trust the power of your word. And Father, we, we ask you to, to bring from those moments people that where we see the harvest, where we see a hundred times what was sown. Not because of how great we are, Father, but of how amazing and awesome you are. Father, four, four hearts is what we ask for this week. And, and every week, give us the courage to continue sharing and shining the, the, your word and your light. May we as a church be a lampstand to reach a dying and broken world. May we not curse the darkness, Father, but may we seek to share the light. Father, we love you. We are here because someone shared the light in our lives. And we pray that we might, as good stewards, do the same. Father, guide us in this process and guide us through this week to come and give us courage to do what we need to do and not give up sowing your seed to the soils that so desperately need it. We love you, God, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt because of Jesus that you love us. In his name we pray, amen. Tonight, if you have a need of responding to the gospel of Jesus, if you need to put on Christ, if you do not know him, have not chosen to believe and obey the gospel, you can do that tonight. I'll be glad to help you. Our shepherds will be glad to help you. If you have a public need that we might pray for you and encourage you, or you have a sin that you need to repent of, uh, we'd be glad to help you with that as well. Whatever the need might be, uh, please come. I'll meet you down front as we stand and sing.